Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, we are in Acts, uh, Acts 20, verse 17 to 38 is our main text this morning. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to you into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would not that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from the house to house i've declared to both jew and greek that they must turn to god in repentance and have faith in our lord jesus and now compelled by the spirit i'm going to jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there I know only that in every city the holy spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of of you among whom I've gone about preaching the the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. I keep watch, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night, night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You know you yourselves know that these hands of mine have have supplied my needs, my own needs, and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus Himself said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed and kissed him. They all kissed him. Interesting. <laughs> what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now that the lights would come on in our hearts. (laughs) That as we continue to hear your word, that your 
Holy Spirit would illuminate things in our lives. God, that you would be speaking through these words in Jesus' name. Amen. These were Paul, this was Paul's last words to this group of believers, not only to believers, but to leaders in the church, not just leaders in the church, but elders that he had appointed on his travels, on his, after his time spent with them. Essentially, these, I went on a bit of a dive into famous last words, because these are like his last words to them. And so they must be significant. So I went on a bit of a rabbit hole, famous last words. It wasn't helpful. It wasn't. There was one which was, oh man, it was um, one of the 27 Club. What was his name? That actor guy with the white shirt and the clean cut. Hey? No. Oh, I don't know. He died in a car crash. James Dean. And he was like the only one in the car crash, but he had famous last words about the car coming towards him. I hope they see it. And I was like, that's, that's not possible. Like, that's, it was only him. So, so, so we're not talking about famous last words, but it did trigger me to remember what a friend of mine has said about funeral words. What normally happens at a funeral is people get up and they say these incredible things about the person who has died. Some of them are true. Some of them are not. But the point of my friend was that we should actually take the time to say those words, those kinds of words, to the people while they're alive. You were a good friend. You were there for me. You were with me. And actually, that's that's the kind of church that I would want to be a part of. One who is full of affirmation for one another, one who we're stirring one another on to bigger and better things, to good, to the good things that God has for us. This is what Paul was doing at this time. He's trying to stir on these leaders as they continue the race. He says he doesn't know what is going to happen in Jerusalem, but he knows that in every city, In every city that he has been to, he's experienced hardships. He's experienced trials. He's experienced, um, he was like, there's that whole list of him being stoned, being left for dead, all of those things. And now he's going to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit is nudging him going, hey, guess what? Something's coming. And he's like, if I've already experienced all of this, well, what could be coming? We know because we've read to the end of the book that this is the start of his journey towards what will eventually be his death, his imprisonment and his death. These leaders were placed together, were set set in place by Paul during his three years that he was there. They were not some randoms. They would have known him really well They would have known him really, really well. And possibly, like Yolandi was sharing last week, would have been Gentile believers, saved out of a place of idolatry into a place of loving Jesus. And with all of that, with all that came with that, the completely changing your life, completely, like Yolandi did a great job last week of expounding what happened in Ephesus. Paul 
points to his life with them as he says, as he hands over the baton to them. He leaves them with these instructions. He says, look at my life, how I lived among you and how I led you and led with you as an example of how you should live and how you should lead. I don't think that those were two separate things to him, to leave, to lead and to live. And I don't believe that the biblical view of leadership is separate, where you have your life and you have your leadership. His life with them was done together. It was a shared, it was life on life. It was iron sharpening iron. And so we can take from that, that actually when we lead and live, we should be living life on life. Our lives with those that are around us, with those in our local church, together, sharpening one another. There's obvious affection that is shared in this text. They wept together. Paul talks about his, his time with them and how he, how he struggled and was there and it was, it was tough, but it was good. And he leaves them with, with that. We need to be okay with sharing our whole lives with those that are around us. Not separating, oh, this is our leadership and this is our life. We need to be able to get close, to laugh, to cry, to weep together. As Kenny says, in order to catch someone's heart, we need to get close enough to hear their heart. Are we the kind of leaders, the kinds of people who seek to get close to one another? Or do we, churches for a Sunday, I have a friend who does a lot of Christian things on a Wednesday. Like that's his Christian day. We joke about it. It's, it's funny. I just point, point a, you know, poke him a little. Because um, it just seems to, that he just does. I, I meet, I, when I meet with him, I meet with him on a Wednesday. Uh, and then he's got a connect group on a Wednesday. It's, it's, a, it's fun. Um, but we can't be Christians that only do things on days that are Christian days where we allocate, this is my day for being a Christian and this is my day for not. <laughs> it's my day for being a Christian and then there's the weekend. Too soon, okay. Are we living like this and are we leading like this? What else does Paul say to them? He says, I served the Lord with great humility and tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents, he did not allow the external circumstances or even opposition to dictate how he lived and how he led. He still held on to the call. He held on to it firmly. So no matter what wind, what wave, what came up against him, he stood firm. Paul kept the main thing, the main thing. He kept focus on the kingdom of God and on the gospel of Christ, on the good news. 
He stuck to what was decided in the Jewish, in the, the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. What else? He gave himself fully to the task. He was all in. Even considering his own life worthless compared to finishing what God had set out for him to do. He persevered. He pushed through. He held on to it. He was all in. It was not half ease with Paul. Hmm. He proclaimed the whole counsel of God. He did not try to tickle their ears or make them feel good. But he was not harsh. He came like Jesus in grace and truth. How do we know that he wasn't harsh? Well, because they cried together. There was affection. They didn't want him to go. If someone's been harsh with you, it's like, well, get out of here. Like, I don't want to hear any more of what you have to say. No, there was affection, which meant that he came gently. He came in grace, but he brought truth because he did not shy away from giving the whole counsel of God. What else did he say to them? He says, be shepherds. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. He says, watch out for wolves. Considering the shepherd analogy, there might be wolves that'll take away the flock, that'll eat the flock. He says, continue to trust in God because he is going to hand over the baton. This is a final speech. This is him going, if you, if you know nothing, I've been with you for three years. I've led my life openly with you. We've talked, we've debated, we've laughed, we've cried, we've, we've struggled, we've prevailed, we've had people come against us. But if I can give you this one thing, it's continue to trust in the Lord and do all that he has called you to do. He also says to them, he warns them by pointing to his life, don't orientate yourself around money. He says, silver and gold, I, I didn't covet your silver and gold or your clothing. I worked hard. Be generous. Be generous with what God has given us. We get to be generous. He tells these elders, these leaders, to be shepherds. What does it mean to be a shepherd leader? This is a, a very strong picture in the New Testament. It's one that Jesus points to. It's one that Peter points to. Paul here points to it as a picture of leadership. John 10, verse 1 to 5. Jesus is talking. He says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus ultimately is talking about him, himself being the good shepherd. He points to it a little later. 
But he, there's a couple of things in there. He says, the one who enters comes via the gate. There is a process of leadership, of being a shepherd leader. There is a right way and a wrong way. He talks about the sheep. He says, the sheep listen to his voice. The sheep know his voice as the shepherd. As leaders, are we the kinds, and I believe that everyone here is a leader. If you know Jesus, you're called to help lead others to know Jesus, right? Cool, that's discipleship. Go to all the nations and be a disciple, make disciples. What does that look like? It looks like, well, you're a leader. Hey, come follow me as I follow Christ. So we need to look at being leaders like it's set up in the Bible. We need to be shepherd leaders. A shepherd, a shepherd knows, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. He calls his own, his own sheep by name and leads them out. He is in front and they are following. Francis mentioned last week when we ordained new deacons. If you think you're a leader, but there's no one following you, you're just taking a walk. We lead out in front. We don't lead from behind with a whip. Bah, bah. We don't dictate. We, we are in front. And I'll show you a picture. There's a picture a bit later of this. In John 10, Jesus continues to talk about the good shepherd, how he lays his life down for his sheep. As a leader, it is a work of sacrifice. It means giving up some things. Right? We look at Jesus. He is the ultimate leader, and he gave up his life. Jesus even says that we take up our cross and follow him, denying ourselves. In 1 Peter 5, verse 2 to 3, Peter is talking to elders, to leaders, and he says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. When the chief, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. We're called to be examples, to be good shepherds ones who care and look after one another, the flock. Paul is talking about elders. He's talking to elders here. And we have elders, of which Yolandi and I are on the eldership team with Francis and Nadine. What is eldership? Eldership, practically, is a functional leadership role within the local church. It is qualified by character and tested over time. It is a functional leadership role within the local church that is qualified by character and tested over time. The qualifications of an elder are found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. I'm just going to read the one. It is very directive. It is a list and works really well. And it's all character orientated. This is not something, okay, tick. It's, it is kind of, it's kind of a list, but it's very much character-based and not based on personality. 
And it's not even based on gifting. It is based on character, on God's work within you. 1 Timothy 3 from verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. If you want to be an elder, this is a good thing. But just know that there are these things that are required. Now, the overseer or elder is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. That's a good list. In Titus 1, verse 5 to 7, it says very much the same thing. And in fact, the qualifications for a deacon are very much similar to the qualifications of an elder. Now, why am I talking about this? Like, why does it matter? Because actually, the qualifications for all of these things should not be so far off your normal Christian walk. It shouldn't be a surprise. Why? Because this is all character orientated. That's the work that Christ does in us as we walk with him. He starts to point things out. Hey, how you were in traffic today? I, there was this bad phrase that my, my friends back in the day when I was, when I'd just come to know Jesus, that they would use on me all the time. They would be up to no good and I would go and join them and then they would be, oh, I thought you were a Christian. Because there's a standard. Why is there a standard? Because there's an expectation that God is working within you and that you move from faith to faith and glory to glory. That your character should not be the same when you got saved as it is today. 20 years later, five years later, three days later, God is working in us. And so this idea of being a shepherd leader is important. Why? Because the call is then not just for those, not just for these on the, on the platform, not just for the elders, not just for the deacons, but actually for us all. Can we, can we put that triangle picture? I just want to give you a picture of these, these, are, these are triangles in different uh, orientations. The first triangle represents a hierarchical view of leadership. The leaders at the top, the people at the bottom, okay? The second one is, I suppose, more of a congregational view with the leader at the bottom under the weight of the people at the top. The third one is with the leader onto the side, okay? The leader is in front leading the people as the people come behind. That's what it means to be a shepherd leader. 
is to move forward in God, trusting in His call and walking in that as you walk with others and bring them along the journey. Do you know a a great definition of discipleship is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. That's it. All you're doing is you're going, hey, come this way. Come, come on. And that's what it means to be a shepherd leader as well, is to walk in all that God has for you. You follow his call and you walk with those that are around you. And you say, hey, come on. You care and you love and you put your whole life in to those that are around you. It is character-based. It's character-based, which means that you are before you are recognized. It should not be a surprise when someone says, oh, they're an elder or a deacon. (laughs) You're a what? (laughs) That shouldn't be what should come out of people's mouths. Like, oh, obviously you are. Look at your life. In the same way, that means that we push on using these things as a guide for the Lord to adjust things in our hearts so that we can start to be who he has called us to be while without being recognized. And when we get recognized, it's a bonus. It is a bonus. Hey, Hilton and Kate. Jared and Sarah. Hey, bonus. Get a gold star. It's awesome. Now the work begins. That's the crazy thing. So why do, we, why do we have elders? Well, we use the term elder because it, we do find it in the Bible. We don't say committee. We don't say board. Um, although I'm sure in a, in a legal sense, we have those things. But we use the term elder because we do find that in the Bible. The role of an elder primarily is one of p- protection. We have elders for protection. The elders bring the riverbanks for the river of God to flow. There's a, that's what elders do. Elders guard, guide, govern, and help grow. Elders uh, are in charge of doctrine, direction, discipline, and discipleship. Elders disciple and they discipline. But all of this to say that this is not far off from what We have elders for protection, and it's good. And we want to have a bigger eldership team. Why? So that we can grow the leadership and so that more people can follow and more people can walk into all that God has for them. We also believe in a team of elders, not one man with a plan, not one. We have a great shepherd, and we follow the great shepherd. It's not about just having one. We believe in team. We see God as a team, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see Jesus, the Son of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see him. He had a team. He wasn't above it all. He had a team. We see the church in Antioch, the first Gentile church. We see that that was a team, a diverse team of people. All of this to say that if you want to, and if you are called to be part of a leadership team in Venture Church, don't think that because you don't look like somebody else, you're not needed. We need you. We need you to add color. We need you to add diversity. We need you to bring all that God has done in you and how he's working in your character to be part of us so that we can be better and we can all look more like Jesus. 
Remember, don't wait. Because you are before you are recognized, don't wait for someone to recognize you, to say, hey, I think you can be a leader. I think you can do this before you step into what God is calling you to do. Start to do it. Even if you get a word. So on a Sunday, the elders lead the meeting. If you have a word, if you have something in your heart, don't wait for someone to, in the front, look for you in the crowd, find you and go, I'm sorry, do you have a word? Don't wait for that. If you have a word, if you have a picture, if you have something that God has given you for the church, come to the front, bring what God has given you and trust that the elders will release it or not release it. Paul's last words to these elders were keep going. He gave them practical tips. He pointed to their lives. Jesus' last words, the famous last words before he left for heaven was to go and make disciples. Be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. And that is what he is calling us to do. So that is what we need to be doing. God has called us to continue to focus on him and to walk in all that he has for us while he adjusts the things in our lives that are not of him. Those character things that we need to deal with. Last night, we, Yolandi and I had a, a moral dilemma. After, after, work, after Yolandi finished work, we went to, to Cresta oh, to go buy oats because okay, we needed oats for breakfast. And while we were there, we decided, oh, let's, hey, we're here. We should get some Paul's ice cream because it's just the best, right? So we're, we're standing in the queue. We get Paul's ice cream, and we then go and we sit on the little bench that they have. While we're sitting, enjoying our ice cream, watching the people, hey, there's nothing like, quite like people watching, watching them go past. A, a guy came up to us and asked for... First, at first, I didn't know what he was asking for. I assumed he was asking for money, but I actually couldn't hear what he was saying. He asked for something, and I, I just kind of said, like, like, no, sorry. He moved on, and uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't ask anyone else on that bench. So I don't know if there was the light of the Lord was shining bright from us or what. But he came back around and asked again, and, uh, and sort of moral dilemma, and it... It wrecked us a little. Because then I was like, no, like now you've asked again. Like what? You've just, I've just said no, and now you've come back. And it was a moral dilemma. It, was, it tore us a little. We were like, we then, like I was ready to go. And Yolandi, she has such a soft heart. She was like, come, let's go find him. Or, you know, we walked. We then walked around a, a long time, like looking for him, looking for stuff to buy. Like, find, like and we just, it just didn't, it came up, we came up with naught. The point is that we don't have it all together. So there's this list of how we need to be as elders, as the title, that the character should match up with the title. But here, yeah, we, we didn't, we didn't, well, yeah, Yolani's like, we, uh, she's like, I knew what to do. <laughs> it was you. So, so me, it's fine. 
We are all in process. God is working with us all from where we are, moving us to who he wants us to be. I don't know if any of you noticed, but I have a stain on this shirt somewhere. It's like a dot. I don't know if you can see it. If you come up close, I saw it this morning. I was like, ooh, I don't think anyone's going to notice. Maybe, maybe they will, maybe they won't. It'll be okay. Maybe Yolanda will notice. She's great with details. She didn't. I don't know. It's, I don't know why, but we'll talk later. Um, but that's it. There, even though I'm up here preaching, there's a little stain. Right? We all need to trust in the Lord. We all need to trust that Jesus continues to work in us. No one has arrived. We are all on this journey together. So even though God has called us to, to shepherd one another, to shepherd others, to be shepherds of his people, to be deacons, to be elders, not everyone has, no one has arrived. Can we stand? I read an article this week on, I think it was News 24, about the lack of leadership in, in our country. And how at every level, whether governmental, uh, community, even religious leaders, there's corruption. It's money grabbing, people out for themselves. When we trust Jesus to lead us and to work within us and to step into that character-orientated leadership, we can start to be good leaders in our family, in our community, and for our country. But it's not a work of good intentions. It is a work of the Spirit. It's not a work of... New Year's resolutions. It is a work of the Spirit of God. So let's close our eyes. Jesus, right now, as we stand before you, holy and anointed one, God, I thank you that you love each and every one of us. I thank you that you care for us like your very own. We are your sheep. We are your flock. And God, I pray that even now you would start to take the things off our fur, the things that make us unclean, those character things that we are locked into. I pray that you would start to remove them. Holy Spirit, that you would move with your gentleness and you would remove those character things, those insecurities, those habits, those addictions, God, that you would move us, move in us. We want our whole lives to count for you. 
We don't want to have a church life and a life life. We want to lead how we live and we want to live how we lead. So God, I pray that even now you will start to pinpoint some things that we can work on, some things that we can adjust in our lives. God, I thank you that you've called us not just to follow you, but to be disciples who make disciples. God, I thank you that you call us, not because of anything that we, not because of our goodness, but because of your goodness working inside of us to lead and to lead others, to be leaders in our workplace, in our homes, in our communities, in our schools. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you call us. And while we might feel inadequate, I pray for a courage to rise up inside of us, a courage to step into what you have called us to. Paul called these elders to live a courageous life, to lead courageously, just like he had done. And God, I pray for that kind of courage, a courage that would stick to what you've called us to, no matter the opposition, no matter what we come up against, no matter what is going on, that we would hold on to all you have called us to. I thank you, Jesus, that you have us on a journey and that you're not done with us yet. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.